across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. Alrighty, Rockstar Nation, listen up. I have the solutions if you are looking to build a massive, wonderful team that nets you a million bucks a year. Net, 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 not ECI, but net. I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and I hung out with Jeff Cohn and the Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group and filmed everything about how they sell 600 homes a year how Jeff nets over a million bucks consistently and doesn't go on listing appointments or buyer's appointments, doesn't even take calls from angry clients because nobody really knows Jeff. They know Omaha's elite real estate group. I mean, he's really got this figured out, right? We had to net a million dollars without being beholden to other people when he walks into the local mall. And it's a cool way to conduct business and net a million bucks. 600 homes a year. Five years ago, they were doing 80. So we took this, all this footage and we broke it down to 76 videos. We made 73 quizzes to make sure you get it in your head. And we included a bunch of downloads that he and his team use. We got videos of their secret team meetings, of their admin meetings, of their uh, agent accountability meetings. We got videos of their agents prospecting to real life clients. Find out how you can build a team where everybody gets along with an incredible culture, where everybody is hired right from the beginning. Massive amounts of retention here. People stay. And how agents lead generate from day one for their entire life there. I mean, it's unlike any team I've ever seen. And uh, you can get it now at rebusuniversity.com. For the holidays, we are offering 50% off and also because it's a brand new product. So it's going to be a limited time. We're going to offer 50% off. So jump on over to rebusuniversity.com and check it out. I even put some free videos and free quizzes, like three of them. I just picked three random ones. So you could go on there and kind of test drive the car for free, so to speak. rebusuniversity.com. Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a great returning guest. I have Mr. Ty Crandall on the line. Ty was with us about 200 episodes ago, so it's been a while. And if, if you recall, Ty is an expert when it comes to lending, all types of things. Used to own a mortgage company, but also now is big into business lending. And uh, we have a lot of agents I think that are growing and a lot of agents that are wanting to do things that might be held back uh, because they don't have the funds, including expanding their real estate teams and also, you know, buying opportunities that they see uh, before they hit the market uh, as they go on a listing program and say, you know, if they think to themselves, hey, I should have bought this thing myself or I should buy this myself. We've got a lot of neat ways to talk about uh, how you can do that. So anyways, without further ado, Ty, welcome back to Pat Hyben Interviews Real Estate Rockstars. 
Thanks for having me, Pat. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so, hey, Ty, why don't you give everybody a little rundown on yourself so they can get to know you better? Sure. Well, I oversee a company called Credit Suite, and uh, and what we do is we're really the biggest uh, out there in the business credit building space. So we help companies um, and deal with a lot of actual real estate agents and investors and help to basically uh, create a business credit profile to the business's EIN number that's not linked to the individual's social security number. And we also deal with all types of business loans. We find that there's a lot of capital out there in the markets right now that's available. Most people just don't know where to go to get it. So we've really created a really cool platform and system and way where we combine all that's available in the business credit financing space into one place to uh, to help people get the most amount of money. Wow, neat. Yeah, and I think most people had no clue that you have kind of a credit report for your EIN numbers just like you do for your social security number. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, about 90%. We were talking about that you know, before the call is that I think you were surprised to see how many people actually listened to the last show. And that's very common. About 90% of entrepreneurs know nothing about business credit. And we find that it's a topic that people are really, really, really interested in because there's so little information out in the marketplace about it. But yeah, I mean, your listeners as well as everybody else, about 90% statistically of people uh, know nothing about business credit or aren't doing anything now to actually build their business credit. Why don't you explain it? Sure. Well, just as you have a social security number uh, linked to you and you have a credit report linked to your social security number, your business has an EIN number linked to the actual entity and your entity or your EIN number has a credit report that's linked to the EIN. So business credit ultimately is obtaining credit that's linked to the EIN and not the social security number. So much as you use your personal credit to obtain credit cards and loans and leases on vehicles, a uh, business credit can be used for exactly the same purpose for uh, foreign entity. So for example, a real estate agent can go out and say, okay, I want to have a better way to uh, write off things. I want to be able to gain more capital to build my own personal brand and can come out, create their own LLC corporation, their own entity, and immediately start obtaining a credit, especially high limit credit accounts for that entity without a personal guarantee. So they're not personally liable for the credit they're obtaining. And most importantly, without any kind of impact to their personal credit. It's not based on personal credit. They don't need to supply any kind of personal credit check to be able to qualify, and none of the credit they obtain reports on their personal credit reports. It all reports on their business credit reports. Okay, so is it an actual credit score? Just like you say, hey, my score is 810. Do you have a, a, a credit score like that for every sure. EIN number? Yeah, about there's three reporting agencies in the business world. There's uh, Experian Commercial and Equifax Commercial, and there's a company called Dun & Bradstreet who's the biggest. And each one of them has about five different credit scores that they have. You'll even see as many as nine credit scores on the Dun & Bradstreet credit report. Uh, but primarily in the business world, the main scores that are used go from zero to 100, with 100 being the highest score and zero being the lowest score. So what happens is you get some credit. It reports to the business credit reporting agencies. Um, and as long as you pay that credit as agreed, you have a good score. It's one of the beautiful things about business credit. You know, in the consumer credit world, uh, FICO is a really tough thing to deal with, as a lot of your listeners know, because they're trying to get people into home loans. You know, FICO deals with things like credit mix and how long you've had credit for and your utilization and payment history. There's five components to FICO, whereas your main scores in the business credit scoring world are based only on payment history, which is what's awesome about business credit, because if you get some credit that reports the business reporting agencies and you 
pay it as agreed, then you instantly have a good score. And when that happens about 60 days into starting the process, you can then use that profile and score to start getting really high limit um, revolving credit accounts. That, okay. So so me, uh, let, let's say I want to look up my, my business credit score on one of my businesses. How do I do that? Well, you can go to Dun & Bradstreet, you can go to Experian, or you can go to Equifax and do that directly with them. Um, it's, it's the easiest way to do it. Now, if you were really interested, I could pull your business credit right now. Actually, I have access, as a lot of people do, have access to be able to pull this from the reporting agencies with as little as your business name. And that's one of the things that's important to know is that even though 90% of the population doesn't know about business credit, a lot of people do. And anybody that does know anything about business credit has the ability to easily pull your business credit report with only your business name. It's all I need to pull your business credit report, your business name. Uh, and if there's multiple companies that exist out there with a similar name, then your city or state helps to narrow it down. Uh, but you can go to Experian Equifax, or you can go to Dun & Bradstreet to be able to get a copy of your business credit report, or just know that anybody else can also obtain that pretty easily. Yeah, I had no idea. So, so, so let's say somebody's shopping for a real estate team and and I've named my team Pat Hyben Real Estate Group. I have an EIN number that goes with that. I've had it for years. You're saying that a consumer, you know, let's say as opposed to going to Yelp and, and, or, or Zillow and looking at reviews, they could go and search the credit. They could actually search to see if I've been paying my rent on time because I signed my lease under Pat Hyben Real Estate Group or my copier maybe on time, things like that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we just did a, uh, a session yesterday on Periscope where we were taking a look at the Trump Organization and the Clinton Foundation's credit reports. Anybody can access your business credit reports. As a matter of fact, if I go to Experian and just type in your name, I get somebody that I think has taken this because it's got Pat Hyben sales team in Clarksville, Maryland. So it, as little so as that's me. Yeah, that's me. So tell go. me, tell me what it says. I don't care. We're, you know, you, you, you are you sure you want it? You sure I'm you want to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Please, I want you. <laughs> to look i don't i you know i don't i got no skeletons all right well let's see and let's if there see, is one i need to know about it anyways and i don't care so what do you what do you got so, well, yeah, you definitely have a credit profile established with Experian, and unfortunately, you, you have a lot of the problem that a lot of people have is Experian knows you exist, but you haven't done much with your business credit. So you only have one account that's on there. It's a net 30 company. It won't – business credit reports won't tell us the name of the creditor. They'll tell us the industry. So it's a packaging account, um, and it's a net 30 account, and it, it was last reported November of 2016. So because that's the what, only what, – what, What's net 30? What's that mean? Well, net 30 means, for example, a revolving credit card is one where if you put $1,000 of charges on it, you pay a minimum payment of maybe 25 bucks. With a net 30 account, if you have a $1,000 limit account and you put $1,000 on it, well, then you'd have to pay that off completely within 30 days. So net 10 means the whole balance has to be paid within 10 days. Net 30 means the whole balance has to be paid, for example. So it's, kind of, it's kind of like an Amex, basically, or, or it could be a debit card, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, when, so does it say whether that's an Amex or whether it's a debit card or? No, it just says that basically it's an industry specific, which is a packaging account, is the only account that actually reports on there. Am um, I paying it on time? It, it shows a zero balance. So it doesn't hmm. show us any paid beyond terms. It doesn't show us any kind of payment history. Um, it just shows that you actually obtain the account. Now, let's but, say I wanted to beef that up. 
you sure. know, like, like, you know, I mean, I mean, I've, I've had this since probably like the 1990s. It, it's actually called Pat Hyben. Uh, yeah, Pat Hyben sales team. And uh, you opened it August uh, 12th, 1991. Okay, beautiful. Uh, okay. Yeah. There you go. And what, what's crazy is just with your name. I mean, I'm looking at the number of employees, your total sales are available, um, your SIC code, your NACIS code. You know, we can tell about your payment trends. If you do have any kind of credit, we can look at your other corporate listings. So I'm I'm looking at, you know, the Clarksville and the, the Glen Burnie addresses, for example. Nice. Um, you know, all this information is available to anybody with just your business name. Now, you haven't done a lot to build your business credit, and this is a perfect example of why. So, for example, Experian's recommending you right now for $1,900 worth of credit because you don't have a lot of established business credit. So, if you go to apply for any kind of loan, for example, they're going to pull the same information and how much you get approved for for a business loan or a business card, the limits you get, the rates you pay are all based on this exact same information. This is exactly the same information that those lenders are going to look at as well. Wow. Okay. So let's say, cause I know for a fact, right? I mean, leases, I don't put leases in my name personally anymore. We put them under Pat Hyben sales team, right? That's what we've always done under that EIN number. And it's, it's a good way, you know, if, if the shit hits the fan and, and, uh, we could always close the business, you know, and I won't be affected on my personal credit score. So that being said, how would I add the fact that I've had the same lease for the last nine years and paid on time? How, how do I add that to my Dun & Bradstreet? Well, you're talking about a common problem. About 95% of trade vendors do not report to the business credit reporting agencies. So a lot of people have credit, and you're a perfect example, right? You've had this business for what? That's uh, going on 20, 20-something 20 years. 25 years, yeah. 25 years, and yet you have – one account in 25 years that reports. Business credit doesn't happen accidentally like consumer credit does. So many people report on the consumer credit report that you could not even try and build a consumer credit report. But in the business credit world, 95, 97% of trade vendors don't report. So you've obviously obtained a lot of credit under your business name during this time, just very little of that credit reports. And of course, this is Experian. We could take a look at DNB and Equifax. Can I, and can I ask them? Can I ask, can I ask my landlord, can you submit this? Can well, you submit, most, you know, they're not going to usually do it just because you asked them to. Now, it's very easy for them to do so. They could take all of their tenants. They could put all of them reported to Experian and not pay any money to do so. We help a lot of people start reporting to the business reporting agencies that aren't reporting now. Uh, and it's very easy. They just have to basically get the accumulation of, a, of an Excel file and submit it monthly to the reporting agencies. Uh, but they're not going to usually report it just because you choose to. Now, you did mention something important. Dun & Bradstreet has a product called the DMB Credit Builder, and they'll sell it to you for, I don't know, a thousand to two thousand bucks, depending on the sales guy you get. And with the Credit Builder, you can add accounts to your, your DMB report. So you could choose to go and say, I want these five accounts, including my lease, added to my Dun and Bradstreet report. The only problem with that is, is you can only do that with Dun and Bradstreet. And a lot of credit issuers and lenders are looking at Equifax and Experian. But it is a way you could put it on the DMB report. It's the only way to get it on a report is that credit builder with DMB other than the creditor just naturally reporting it. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, that's good stuff to know. I mean, and it's, and you know, certainly I think anybody with a business, I would encourage them to put as much in, in the business names as you can. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, let's start, let's talk a little bit about, you know, that's, that's essentially what Donald Trump did. And some of these other guys, Robert Kiyosaki, some of these other guys did to, you know, to make sure that 
they weren't affected personally by some of these companies going out of business, right? Um, like every hotel in Atlantic City, for instance, right? Didn't affect Trump personally, just his business credit where he was able to just cancel out that, you know, by bankruptcy and then move on to the next one. And, th and that's essentially what we want everybody to do should they need to. Well, look, liability is one aspect of it, but, but here's the, the reality. The reality is, is that you know the majority of people use their consumer credit, friends and family, to fund a business. You know, when we look at where startups get their money, statistically, it comes from the friends, it comes from family, it comes from personal savings investment accounts, and it comes from personal credit. But one of the core components of credit is called capacity, and consumer credit was not designed to fund businesses. It doesn't have a capacity that's designed to fund businesses. So for example, you know, I can teach you how to build business credit where you're getting a $10,000 Dell credit card 60 to 90 days into the process. Now for us, that might sound crazy because why would we ever need $10,000 worth of personal computers? Never. But in a business, a business is going to need that very early on, which is why limits and capacity are so much higher in the business credit world. And the SBA says it's about 10 to 100 times higher than consumer credit. So business credit can not only be built really fast, but as you start to focus on building it, then what happens is you start getting approved for very, very, very high limit accounts. So for example, I had a client the other day that's you know four months into the process, just got approved for a $7,500 Apple credit card, $3,500 Amazon, $1,500 Staples, none of it with a personal guarantee, but most importantly, without a personal credit check. So that means that there is no ding on their credit report. There's no inquiry, which adversely affects 10% of their score because they had to use personal credit. They didn't even supply their social. And it means they can max that credit out and have no adverse impact on their FICO score. Whereas if they used the personal credit and did the exact same thing, they could easily see a 100% point drop to their FICO score because a third of the credit score on the personal side is utilization. What percentage of high credit limit you're using? So that's the danger here is that when you're using credit that has a lower capacity and it's not designed to fund a business, you're trying to fund a business business with it, you're putting higher balances on those accounts than you should be. That plummets your FICO score. And then when somebody tries to get a mortgage, tries to get a car loan, tries to get a credit score, they're paying higher interest rates on the personal side because their score is lower because they're trying to use their personal credit to fund a business. So that's another reason that business credit is so important is because, yeah, you don't have the liability, but it also gives you greater capacity and greater ability to fund and grow a business. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Let's let's shift gears. Let's talk about the, you know, the future today and uh, what's happening in the future. So, you know, uh, we've been on a, a long run here for the last 10 years. Interest rates have continually tended to drop, drop, drop. Trump is saying, hey, listen, you know, I'm gonna, it's time to let the markets fend for themselves. Let's let's let capitalism reign and and let the chips fall where they may. And I, and quite frankly, I agree with that. If you look at the last 40 years, right, rates have been dropping, 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 right? As high as 18.63 and as low as like 3.31, right? Average, uh, from what I understand, is right in the middle there, right? Uh, like around eight and three quarters. So if you average the last 40 years, right? You say, give me the average of the last 40 years. We're at eight point something, 8.75, let's say. Today, we're at like four or five, you know, wherever you're at, depending on what type of loan you're getting. 
what's your prediction? As somebody who's used to own a mortgage company, used to, you know, and is in business credit and thinks about loans and, and mortgages and, and this stuff all day long, what's your prediction? Rates are going to go up. I mean, you know, there's no probably better time to buy than what we've seen here in the recent past and where we are now. Uh, and eventually the getting's not going to be as good. I mean, rates are going to go up. And and well, Trump's belief, I believe, is is very accurate. You, you can't try to continue you continue continually manipulate the markets the way that they do with controlling interest rates. At some point, you have to let it go. And what's going to happen inevitably, in my opinion, is rates are absolutely going to go up. And I don't think they're going to skyrocket overnight. But I think you're going to start to see the climb of rates and how that affects the market, and especially in the real estate side. You know, who knows? I mean, I don't think people are just going to immediately stop buying properties because rates continue to climb. You know, even when rates were eight percent or nine or ten percent, which really actually wasn't that long ago, um, there were still a lot of people out there buying. There just wasn't as much outside investment pouring money in, which is what we see. You know, down here in Florida, we have have so many people that are foreign investors that are coming in and buying real estate. It's a feeding frenzy down here. And it's because real estate prices are still fairly low. And it's also because rates are as low as they are. And so I think that what's going to happen is when rates do continue or do climb as they, I believe they will, then what you're going to find is not as much of the outside money is going to pour in and pour their money into real estate, um, which necessarily I don't really think is a bad thing. So, so th therein lies a demand issue, right? Simple economics, you, you have less demand and you have the same supply because builders have started building again, you know, and, and there's, there's cranes everywhere in, in, in a lot of towns. So you have the supply, but you don't have demand and therein lies an issue. So here's something fascinating, okay? And this ties into what you just said, but I want to read this just because I think it's really cool and interesting. 200 grand to borrow. At the peak of the last 40 years, this is 1981, okay? This is October 9th, 1981. At the peak, guess what your mortgage payment was on a, on a $200,000 mortgage? Oh, I don't know. I'd love to hear this. $3,177. That's based on an 18.63%. That was a peak, okay? 18.63% on a mortgage in 1981 cost... 3100 bucks. Now, the lowest it was was in 2012. Okay, not too long ago. 1121. So these are months that are, you know, close to this month, right? 1121 2012. The same 200,000. Guess what the mortgage payment was? I'd love to hear. 877. Wow. Wow, that's like 25%. Yeah. So, That's high. That's crazy. And, you know, salaries have gone up since 1981. People would hopefully are making a lot more money than they were in 1981. Yet the cost to buy a house, or I should just say the cost to get a mortgage, has dropped 75%. So what does that mean? Well, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think you're going to see a huge correction. You know, when we talk about the high and the low, we're talking about the course of this being over, 
what was that thirty years? Yeah, yeah, four, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think that you're going to see a dramatic shift in anything. And I think there's a lot of people out there talking about a bubble, which I don't necessarily believe may or may not happen. Um, but I, I think you're going to see a correction, and I think things correct naturally in this country when they kind of have to correct. And I think that's exactly what we saw back in you know 2007, 2008. Is values had climbed so high that there was no other where to go for them to go down. And I think that's kind of where we are with rates is I think rates have got fallen so low. It's just natural that there's no other further way to go um, than up, which I don't think is a bad thing. And I don't think you're going to see it climb from 800 bucks to three grand overnight. I don't even think, think you're going to see it climb from 800 bucks to 2000. I think it's going to be a slow progression, uh, but that's part of you know naturally readjusting, which I think is part of what Trump's strategy is, is to get things to kind of naturally happen as they will. The car fall where they may yeah and if, if you think about it really hard i mean right now over the last 10 years our society has been encouraged to borrow money and not save because you know a cd is like a half a percent interest right and as you see interest rates go up you're gonna you're gonna see uh, cd and and money market rates go up so we'll be more people will be encouraged to save less people will be encouraged to borrow which in and of itself is what we're teaching our kids. You know, I hope you're teaching your kids to save and not borrow all the time, you know? And so it makes sense that Trump would want to teach Americans to save and not to borrow. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. And, and I, I think over the – it's not even the last 10 years. I think that you know people in the financial planning community that I speak with think that this is the way the system's been for quite some time, that really a lot of people are trying to compete for you know the money that we have available for you know a little bit here, a little bit there. It, it all comes down to monthly payments. It all comes down to extending terms on what it is you can buy. Um, and I think as a, as a society, we've really shifted more towards that. It's more affordability and what we can afford monthly than you know being able to pay for it all together, which is the way it was in generations before. Um, so I think it's great. Listen, on the personal side, I live in the business world, right? And in the personal world, I believe in a no debt strategy. I don't like credit card debt. I don't believe in really, I don't want to have any kind of debt. In the business side of things, that's the kind of the key to success is OPM. You know, this is why every one of the largest, most successful companies out there get very good at using other people's money and borrowing to grow. Um, so I think it kind of exists in both worlds. I think on the consumer side, saving is way more important than spending. And I think we'll start to see more of that. And I think on the business side that we're on the trough. We're we're on the trough right now on our way back up to the amount of money that's actually borrowed in the business space from year to year. So do you think then that as banks tend to tighten up or, or you know, and it, but it's hard to say really, if they get rid of Dodd-Frank, which they're saying they'll do, it's actually going to loosen things up for lending, right? What, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, the, the result after of Dodd-Frank, you know, has shown us that the available utilization or credit that's been issued is reduced by about 15%. So that was the actual impact from Dodd-Frank is it reduced the amount that was being lent by lenders uh, by about 15%. So there's no question that I don't think they're going to do away from Dodd with Dodd-Frank. I don't think they're going to do away with anything. I think that they're going to make some changes, and I think that some of those changes loosening it up um, will definitely allow banks to lend more. But what's happened, it, it, you know, this is this is what's so 
beautiful about this country is that Dodd-Frank hurt the bank's ability to lend money, but it didn't hurt. What happened was you had a lot of alternative sources that came out of nowhere to fill that void. And this is what we've seen in the business space. Alternative lending, really, I'm not saying it didn't exist, but it absolutely was not popular at all decades ago. And now, you know, the Department of Revenue showed that like 90 almost 99% of money that's pouring into the business lending space is coming from alternative investors. It's coming from hedge funds. It's coming from alternative banks that have popped up that to fill that void. Mm. So that's a lot of what we're seeing on the business side is that, yes, banks have become more restrictive. They've become more conservative. And as a result of that, a lot of others have seen a huge opportunity and jumped in the game. And now we're seeing more money spilling into the business lending space than we've ever seen. It's just not coming from the big banks. Yeah, that's that's fascinating that you pointed that out. I mean, and just look at um, house flippers, right, and hard money. I mean, geez, you know, 10 years ago, you know, there was hard money out there, but it, you couldn't find it as easy as, you know, you can Google your hometown and type in hard money and find 10 hard money people that are, that are right there, you know, willing to give ca- willing to give cash to flippers. And, and, and I don't think that existed before, you know, or it was very, very hard to find. I mean, so you're right. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about what that means, right? I mean, a whole new segment of the industry was completely created out of nowhere. And I was talking to a guy the other day at an event I was speaking at. It was really interesting. And he was in the mortgage business, and he had this thing on foreclosures they did on the side. And when the whole thing shifted, they went all in on their foreclosure side. And the people he was working with are like, are you crazy? Foreclosures are dead. He's like, "It's, it's not about to be. And they made a ton of money. And it's just capitalism at its finest. It's what's makes this country great is the fact that when everything like that happens, we can't be all down. It's not a negative because what happens is other people see it as opportunities and they come in and fill that void and oftentimes fill it in a better way than it ever would have been if that didn't happen to begin with. And I think you make a great point when it comes to hard money. We've seen the same thing in the business space. It's just opened up more opportunity from different avenues than were ever there before. And then that creates more competition, which actually in turn helps the market, not hurts the market. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the foreclosure front since you brought that up. Um, you know, we have seen, uh, as many people have across the uh, United States at least, let's say, um, a decrease in the uh, amount of foreclosures. I can tell you personally, I sold my team to Mike Sloan back in 2010. We had multiple foreclosure accounts. They started to dwindle. Our two biggest ones were Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I know Freddie Mac has just, they shut down about half of their real estate agents that they were working with just because they had less and less deals to give out. And I've talked to other agents from around the country who had the same thing happen to them. Do you think now at the same time, I see other real estate coaches that are starting to advertise short sale training, uh, how to get into the foreclosure business training with the anticipation that we're going to have a whole new wave of this. Do you think we're down and going to stay down with regards to foreclosures or do you think we're going to all of a sudden see another wave or a comeback? 
I, I don't think you're going to see a spike. I really don't. And and what a lot of people don't don't realize is that what happened. There's inter- a lot of interesting things that happen in the mortgage space. And one of the most interesting things was that you know on the broker side, because I owned a mortgage company at this time. You know, on the broker side, we thought we were writing good loans, right? I mean, lenders offer loans. Here's the qualifications. We our job is to help customers that fit within those qualifications through the process. But what a lot of us didn't know on the front end was that these things were being sold on the back end, rated as AAA, when on the front end, if they would have asked us, we would be like, no, these are definitely not AAA. And eventually that caught up to the whole market. And as a result, you see this big, big crash. Then things stayed low and people kept thinking it was going to get better, but it never was because what happened was values were climbing so much that what became popular were these things called option arm loans, these neg am loans. So negative amortization loans were perfect in a market where there was tons of value increasing at a rapid pace. And the problem was, was there was about a seven-year-plus you know, curb there where these NEGAM loans that were still out there in the market still were going to be defaulting and you were going to still start to see it go down. So it was interesting to see how many people thinking the market was going to go up, whereas those of us on the front end knew that wasn't going to happen because beyond the immediate impact, we had all the NEGAM loans that were coming behind that. You don't have that. Those NEGAM loans have cleared out now. You don't see those negative amortization loans. We haven't seen those really in a decade plus. Um, you don't see the subprime prime loans. They are some starting to make a comeback. You're starting to see some stated income. You're starting to see some drops of rates, but nothing like we saw at the time, nothing like where the government was pushing FHA and these other sources to continuously make it easier and easier and easier for people to buy home loans. So if we really look at what created that to begin with, we haven't seen those things in the last 10 years. Will it happen inevitably in the future? Of course, sure it will. Because what what we've learned, people generations behind will have forgotten. And so I think that you're going to see that somewhere down the road, but I don't think it's anywhere in the near future where you're going to see this massive wave of foreclosure. A wave doesn't come out of anywhere or out of nowhere. It comes out of somewhere. And mm. when we look at what caused the waves initially with NEGAM, with making easy borrowing so easy, then it makes sense now in hindsight. But those are things that we've done away with in the last yeah. 10 years. And it's too soon. You know, I yeah. think I think that what happened if you really want to boil it down to something big, it's it's a belief. It's the belief it started with Bill Clinton, a belief that every American deserves to own a house. Or not even deserves, that's a bad word. It's every every person should be a homeowner. And I think what we've learned through all this is no. It's just like saying every person should be an artist or every person should be great at math. You you know, some people are good at math. Some people are not. Some people are great at art. Some people are not. It is what it is. Some people should always be renting. That's just how they roll. That's just their, that's how they should. They should always be renting because they do better having to pay the exact amount and not have to fix anything and not have to save anything for fixing other people should be homeowners because they do great at, you know, maintaining properties and paying mortgages and, and saving money in case the sump pump breaks, you know? And it, I think what we've learned is that's the truism. That's the reality is, you know, some people are meant to be renters and some people are meant to be homeowners rather than right. everyone, you know? And when the government believes it should be everyone, then they start positioning these, you know, programs to make it easy and for everybody and anybody to get a loan. 
Well, and that's what happened. It, it's exactly what I described before, but on the opposite side. So then the government starts pressing Fannie. They start pressing you know, Freddie to be able to lower and limit requirements, and then that brings on a whole new breed of, of lenders, right? Then subprime comes out of nowhere and goes, hey, okay, cool. So you want to lend to anybody. Well, we can help fill that void. And so then all these people pour into the market to fill that void, and they find a creative way to sell that paper, which is what happened. Now, you haven't seen that, right? You, the government's not pushing for that like they used to, like they were pushing, especially back in the 90s. Um, and so as a result of that, a lot of things would have to change to create this to happen again. And those things just haven't been happening over the next decade. So I just don't see this huge surprise wave of foreclosures coming. Honestly, I'm just surprised that all of us there didn't know and see that it was going to happen, knowing and seeing what we were seeing at the time. Do you think they're going to continue to dwindle? I mean, they because they they're down, 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 down. I think, I think that uh, there w- not this month, but a month about six months ago. Be- I think it was January of this year, 2016. We saw the lowest amount right of foreclosures since like 2008 or maybe it was 2000 i think it was 2006 it was a 10-year thing and i read something hey this month was the lowest right so that means over the last 10 years that we got the lowest month started to increase a little bit but who knows what the reasons were but not much do you think we're going to see more and more low months until it's pretty much like it was about 20 years ago where you had very very few foreclosures i don't know I think we've got to get to the bottom, and I don't know where the bottom is, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the bottom is somewhere closer uh, to where the correction took place, and if we're back to where we were 2008, then we're getting very close to where we were before the correction take place took place, and I think when we get to that level of pre-collection type of rates and foreclosures, then I think you're going to stabilize, and I think if anything, you may see them climb, but I don't think it's going to be in large numbers. Okay. Okay. Well, good stuff. Well, that's good to know. And in the meantime, guys, if you need anything uh, from Ty, I'm going to put all of Ty's information on hybendigital.com backslash Ty Crandall with the number two. And that's C-A-C-R-A-N-D-A-L-L, correct? Yes. And uh, the number two, if you need any sort of business loan or information on business credit, he is your go-to guy. Ty, this has been a fascinating conversation. I love we could talk all day on this stuff. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to come on the show and uh, the best of luck to you. Thank you so much, Pat. I had a blast and I'm so honored to be invited on here a second time. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.